Section 1 of The Natural History, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Natural History, Volume 6, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 1. Book 26, Chapters 1 to 21. Book 26. A Continuation of the Remedies Derived from Plants, Classified According to Particular Diseases. Chapter 1. New Forms of Disease. The face of man has recently been sensible of new forms of disease, unknown in ancient times, not only to Italy, but to almost the whole of Europe. Still, however, they have not as yet extended to the whole of Italy, nor have they made any very great inroads in Illyricum, Gaul, or Spain, or indeed any other parts to so great an extent as in Rome and its environs. Though unattended with pain, and not dangerous to life, these diseases are of so loathsome a nature that any form of death would be preferable to them. Chapter 2. The Nature of Lichen the most insupportable of all these diseases is the one which, after its Greek appellation, is known to us as lichen. In consequence, however, of its generally making its first appearance at the chin, the Latins, by way of joke originally, so prone are mankind to make a jest of the misfortunes of others, gave it the name of mentagra, an appellation which has since become established in general use. In many cases, however, this disease spreads over the interior of the mouth and takes possession of the whole face, with the sole exception of the eyes, after which it passes downwards to the neck, breast, and hands, covering them with foul, furfuraceous eruptions. Chapter 3. At what period lichen first made its appearance in Italy? This curse was unknown to the ancients, and in the times of our fathers even, having first entered Italy, in the middle of the reign of the emperor Tiberius Claudius Caesar, where it was introduced from Asia, in which country it had lately made its appearance, by a member of the equestrian order at Rome, a native of Perusium, secretary to the quester. The disease, however, did not attack either females or slaves, nor yet the lower orders, or indeed the middle classes, but only the nobles, being communicated even by the momentary contact requisite for the act of salutation. Many of those who persevered in undergoing a course of remedial treatment, though cured of the disease, retained scars upon the body, more hideous even than the malady itself, it being treated with cauteries, as it was certain to break out afresh, unless means were adopted for burning it out of the body by cauterizing to the very bone. Upon this occasion, several physicians repaired to Rome from Egypt, that fruitful parent of maladies of this nature, men who devoted themselves solely to this branch of medical practice, and very considerable were the profits they made. At all events, it is a well-known fact that Manilius Cornutus, a personage of praetorian rank and legatus of the province of Aquitania, expended no less a sum than 200,000 sesterces upon his cure. It is much more frequently, on the other hand, that we hear of new forms of diseases attacking the lower orders, a singular fact, and one quite unequaled for the marvelous phenomena which sometimes attend these outbreaks. Thus, for instance, we find an epidemic suddenly making its appearance in a certain country, and then confining itself, as though it had made its election so to do, 
to certain parts of the body, certain ages, and even certain pursuits in life. In the same way, too, while one class of diseases attacks the young, another confines itself to adults, while one malady extends itself only to the higher classes, another is felt exclusively by the poor. Chapter 4. Carbuncle We find it stated in the Annals that it was in the censorship of L. Paulus and Q. Marcius that Carbuncle was first introduced into Italy a malady which till then had confined itself solely to the province of Gallia Narbonensis. In the year in which I am writing these lines, two persons of consular rank have died of this disease, Julius Rufus and Q. Lacanius Bassus, the former in consequence of an incision unskillfully made by his medical attendants. The latter threw a wound upon the thumb of the left hand by pricking a carbuncle with a needle a wound so small originally as to be hardly perceptible. This disease makes its appearance in the more hidden parts of the human body, and mostly beneath the tongue. It originally has the form of a hard red pimple, with a blackish head mostly, though sometimes of a livid color. It produces tension of the flesh, but unattended with swelling, pain, or any itching sensation. Indeed, the only symptom that accompanies it is a confirmed drowsiness, which overpowers the patient and carries him off in the course of three days. Sometimes, however, it is accompanied with shuddering and small pustules about the sore, and occasionally, though but rarely, with fever. When these symptoms extend to the falces and esophagus, death ensues with the greatest rapidity. Chapter 5. Elephantiasis we have already stated that elephantiasis was unknown in Italy before the time of Pompeius Magnus. This malady, too, like those already mentioned, mostly makes its first appearance in the face. In its primary form, it bears a considerable resemblance to a small lentil upon the nose. The skin gradually dries up all over the body, is marked with spots of various colors, and presents an unequal surface, being thick in one place, thin in another, indurated every here and there, and covered with a sort of rough scab. At a later period, the skin assumes a black hue and compresses the flesh upon the bones, the fingers and toes becoming swollen. This disease was originally peculiar to Egypt. Whenever it attacked the kings of that country, it was attended with peculiarly fatal effects to the people, it being the practice to temper their sitting baths with human blood for the treatment of the disease. As for Italy, however, its career was very soon cut short. The same was the case, too, with the disease known as Gamursa, to the ancients, a malady which made its appearance between the toes, and the very name of which is now buried in oblivion. Chapter 6. Colic. It is a remarkable fact that some diseases should disappear from among us, while others again should continue to prevail. Colic, for example. It was only in the reign of Tiberius Caesar that this malady made its appearance in Italy the emperor himself being the first to be attacked by it, a circumstance which produced considerable mystification throughout the city when it read the edict issued by that prince excusing his inattention to public business on the ground of his being laid up with the disease, the very name of which was till then unknown. To what cause are we to attribute these various diseases? Or how is it that we have thus incurred the anger of the gods? Was it deemed too little for man to be exposed to fixed and determinate classes of maladies, already more than three hundred in number, 
then he must have new forms of disease to alarm him as well and then in addition to all these not less in number are the troubles and misfortunes which man brings upon himself the remedies which i am here describing are those which were universally employed in ancient times nature herself so to say making up the medicines indeed for a long time these were the only medicines employed hippocrates it is well known was the first to compile a code of medical precepts a thing which he did with the greatest perspicuity as his treatises we find are replete with information upon the various plants no less is the information which we gain from the works of diocles of Charistus, second only in reputation as well as date to hippocrates the same too with reference to the works of praxagoras chrysippus and at a later period erasistratus of cos hierophilus too though himself the founder of a more refined system of medicine was extremely profuse of his commendations of the use of simples at a later period however experience our most efficient instructor in all things medicine in particular gradually began to be lost sight of in mere words and verbiage it being found in fact much more agreeable to sit in schools and to listen to the talk of a professor than to go assimpling in the deserts and to be searching for this plant or that at all the various seasons of the year chapter seven the new system of medicine asclepiades the physician still however the ancient theories remained unshaken based as they were upon the still existing grounds of universally acknowledged experience until in the time of pompeius magnus asclepiades a professor of rhetoric who considered himself not sufficiently repaid by that pursuit and whose readiness and sagacity rendered him better adapted for any other than forensic practice suddenly turned his attention to the medical art having never practiced medicine and being totally unacquainted with the nature of remedies a knowledge only to be acquired by personal examination and actual experience as a matter of course he was obliged to renounce all previously established theories and to trust rather to his flowing periods and his well-studied discourses for gaining an influence upon the minds of his audience reducing the whole art of medicine to an estimation solely of primary causes he made it nothing but a merely conjectural art and established it as his creed that there are five great principles of treatment for all diseases in common diet use or non-use of wine frictions exercise on foot and exercise in a carriage or on horseback as every one perceived that each of these methods of treatment lay quite within his own reach all of course with the greatest readiness gave their assent willing as they were to believe that to be true which was so easy of acquisition and hence it was that he attracted nearly all the world about him as though he had been sent among mankind on a special mission from heaven chapter eight the changes effected by asclepiades in the practice of medicine in addition to this he had a wonderful tact in gaining the full confidence of his patients sometimes he would make them a promise of wine and then seize the opportune moment for administering it while on other occasions again he would prescribe cold water indeed as herophilus among the ancients had been the first to inquire into the primary causes of disease and cleophantus had brought into notice the treatment of diseases by wine so did asclepiades as we learn from m varro 
prefer to be indebted for his surname and repute to the extensive use made by him of cold water as a remedy. He employed also various other soothing remedies for his patients. Thus, for instance, it was he that introduced swinging beds, the motion of which might either lull the malady or induce sleep, as deemed desirable. It was he, too, that brought baths into such general use, a method of treatment that was adopted with the greatest avidity, in addition to numerous other modes of treatment of a pleasant and soothing nature. By these means he acquired a great professional reputation, and a no less extended fame, which was very considerably enhanced by the following incident. Meeting the funeral procession of a person unknown to him, he ordered the body to be removed from the funeral pile, and carried home, and was thus the means of saving his life. This circumstance I am the more desirous to mention, that it may not be imagined that it was on slight grounds only that so extensive a revolution was effected in the medical art. There is, however, one thing, and one thing only, at which we have any ground for indignation, the fact that a single individual, and he belonging to the most frivolous nation in the world, a man born in utter indigence, should all on a sudden, and that too for the sole purpose of increasing his income, give a new code of medical laws to mankind. Laws, however, be it remembered, which have been annulled by numerous authorities since his day. The success of Asclepiades was considerably promoted by many of the usages of ancient medicine, repulsive in their nature, and attended with far too much anxiety. Thus, for instance, it was the practice to cover up the patient with vast numbers of clothes, and to adopt every possible method of promoting the perspiration, to order the body to be roasted before a fire, or else to be continually sending the patient on a search for sunshine, a thing hardly to be found in a showery climate like that of this city of ours, or rather, so to say, of the whole of Italy, so prolific as it is of fogs and rain. It was to remedy these inconveniences that he introduced to the use of hanging baths, an invention that was found grateful to invalids in the very highest degree. In addition to this, he modified the tortures which had hitherto attended the treatment of certain maladies, as in Quincy, for instance, the cure of which before his time had been usually effected by the introduction of an instrument into the throat. He condemned, and with good reason, the indiscriminate use of emetics, which till then had been resorted to in a most extraordinary degree. He disapproved also of the practice of administering internally potions that are naturally injurious to the stomach, a thing that may truthfully be pronounced of the greater part of them. Indeed, it will be as well to take an early opportunity of stating what are the medicaments which act beneficially upon the stomach. Chapter 9 Remarks in Dispraise of the Practices of Magic but above all things it was the follies of magic more particularly that contributed so essentially to his success follies which had been carried to such a pitch as to destroy all confidence in the remedial virtues of plants thus for instance it was stoutly maintained that by the agency of the plant ethiopis rivers and standing waters could be dried up and that by the very touch all bars and doors might be opened that if the plant acamensis were thrown into the ranks of the enemy it would be certain to create a panic and put them to flight that lattice was given by the persian kings to their ambassadors to ensure them an abundant supply of everything wherever they may happen to be with numerous other reveries of a similar nature 
where i should like to know were all these plants when the kimbri and teutons brought upon us the horrors of warfare with their terrific yells or when lucullus defeated with a few legions so many kings who ruled over the magi why is it too that the roman generals who have always made it their first care in warfare to make provision for the victualling of their troops and how was it that at pharsalia the troops of caesar were suffering from famine if an abundance of everything could have been insured by the fortunate possession of a single plant would it not have been better too for scipio almilianus to have opened the gates of carthage by touching them with an herb than to have taken so many years to batter down its bulwarks with his engines of war turning to the present moment let them by the agency of the herb meroes dry up the pompatine marshes if they can and by these means restore so much territory to the regions of italy in the neighbourhood of our city in the works two of democritus already mentioned we find a recipe for the composition of a medicament which will ensure the procreation of issue both sure to be good and fortunate what king of persia pray ever obtained that blessing it really would be a marvellous fact that human credulity taking its rise originally in the very soundest of notions should have ultimately arrived at such a pitch as this if the mind of man understood under any circumstances how to keep within the bounds of moderation and if the very system of medicine thus introduced by Asclepiades had not been carried to a greater pitch of extravagance than the follies of magic even an assertion which i shall prove on a more appropriate occasion such however is the natural constitution of the human mind that be the circumstances what they may commencing with what is necessary it speedily arrives at the point of launching out in excess we will now resume our account of the medicinal properties of the plants mentioned in the preceding book adding to our description such others as the necessities of the case may seem to require chapter ten lichen five remedies as to the treatment of lichen so noisome a disease as it is we shall here give a number of additional remedies for it gathered from all quarters although those already described are by no means few in number for the cure of lichen plantago is used pounded cinquefoil also root of albucus in combination with vinegar the young shoots of the fig tree boiled in vinegar or roots of marshmallow boiled down to one-fourth with glue and vinegar the sores are rubbed also with pumice and then fomented with the root of rummox bruised in vinegar or with scum of viscous kneaded up with lime a decoction too of tithamalos with resin is highly esteemed for the same purpose but to all these remedies the plant known as lichen from its efficacy as a cure is held in preference it is found growing among rocks and has a single broad leaf near the root and a single long stem with small leaves hanging from it this plant has the property also of effacing brand marks being beaten up with honey for that purpose there is another kind of lichen also which adheres entirely to rocks like moss and which is equally used as a topical application the juice of it dropped into wounds or applied to abscesses has the property of arresting hemorrhage mixed with honey it is curative of jaundice the face and tongue being rubbed with it under this mode of treatment the patient is recommended to wash in salt water to anoint himself with oil of almonds and to abstain from garden vegetables for the cure of lichen root of thapsia is also used bruised in honey chapter eleven quinsy 
for the treatment of quinsy we find argimonia recommended in wine a decoction of hyssop boiled with figs used as a gargle pusidanum with an equal proportion of sea calf's rennet proserpinica beaten up in the pickle of the mena and oil or else placed beneath the tongue as also juice of cinquefoil taken in doses of three sciathi used as a gargle juice of cinquefoil is good for the cure of all affections of the falchies verbascum too taken in wine is particularly useful for diseases of the tonsillary glands chapter twelve scrofula for the cure of scrofula plantago is employed chelidonia mixed with honey and axle grease cinquefoil and the root of persilata this last being applied topically and covered with the leaf of the plant artemisia also and an infusion of the root of mandragora in water the large-leafed sideritis cleft by the left hand with a nail is worn attached as an amulet but after the cure has been effected due care must be taken to preserve the plant in order that it may not be set again to promote the wicked designs of the herbalists and so cause the disease to break out afresh as sometimes happens in the cases already mentioned and others which i find stated in reference to persons cured by the agency of artemisia or plantago damasonian also known as alkea is gathered at the summer solstice and applied with rainwater the leaves being beaten up or the root pounded with axle grease so as to admit when applied of being covered with a leaf of the plant the same plan is adopted also for the cure of all pains in the neck and tumors on all parts of the body chapter thirteen the plant called bellus two remedies bellus is the name of a plant that grows in the fields with a white flower somewhat inclining to red if this is applied with artemisia it is said the remedy is still more efficacious chapter fourteen the conjurdom the conjurdom too is a plant with a red blossom which flowers at the summer solstice suspended from the neck it arrests scrofula they say the same being the case also with vervain in combination with plantago for the cure of all diseases of the fingers hangnails in particular cinquefoil is used chapter fifteen cough of all diseases of the chest cough is the one that is the most oppressive for the cure of this malady root of panaces in sweet wine is used and in cases where it is attended with spitting of blood juice of henbane henbane too used as a fumigation is good for cough and the same with scordotus mixed with nasturtium and dry resin beaten up with honey employed by itself also scordotus facilitates expectoration a property which is equally possessed by the greater centauri even where the patient is troubled with spitting of blood for which last juice of plantago is very beneficial betony taken in doses of three oboli in water is useful for purulent or bloody expectorations root also of the persilata in doses of one drachma taken with eleven pine nuts and juice of pusidanum for pains in the chest acheron is remarkably useful hence it is that it is so much used in ingredient in antidotes for cough daucus and the plant scythici are much employed this last being good in fact for all affections of the chest coughs and purulent expectorations taken in doses of three oboli with the same proportion of raisin wine the verbascum too with a flower like gold is similarly employed 
This last-named plant is so remarkably energetic that an infusion of it, administered in their drink, will relieve beasts of burden, not only when troubled with cough, but when broken-winded even, a property which I find attributed to gentian also. Root of cacalia, chewed or steeped in wine, is good for cough, as well as all affections of the throat. Five sprigs of hyssop, with two of rue and three figs, act detergently upon the thoracic organs and allay cough. Chapter 16. Betion, otherwise known as Archeon, Camelucce, or Tusilago. Three remedies. Betion is also known as Tusilago. There are two kinds of it. Wherever it is found growing wild, it is generally thought that there is a spring of water below, and it is looked upon as a sure sign that such is the case by persons in search of water. The leaves are somewhat larger than those of ivy, and are some five or seven in number, of a whitish hue beneath, and a pale green on the upper surface. The plant is destitute of stem, blossom, and seed, and the root is very diminutive. Some persons are of opinion that this betion is identical with the archeon, known as the camelucci. The smoke of this plant in a dry state, inhaled by the aid of a reed and swallowed, is curative, they say, of chronic cough. It is necessary, however, at each inhalation to take a draught of raisin wine. Chapter 17. The Betchion, known also as Salvia, Four Remedies. There is another Betchion also, known to some persons as Salvia, and bearing a strong resemblance to Verbascum. This plant is triturated, and the juice strained off and taken warm for cough, and for pains in the side. It is considered very beneficial also for the stings of scorpions and sea dragons. It is a good plan, too, to rub the body with this juice, mixed with oil, as a preservative against the stings of serpents. A bunch of hyssop is sometimes boiled down with a quarter of a pound of honey for the cure of cough. Chapter 18. Affections of the Side, Chest, and Stomach For the cure of pains in the side and chest, verbascum is used in water with rue. Powdered betony is also taken in warm water. Juice of scordotus is used as a stomachic. Centauri also. Gentian taken in water, and plantago, either eaten with the food, or mixed with lentils, or a pottage of alica. Betony, which is in general prejudicial to the stomach, is remedial for some stomachic affections, taken in drink or chewed, the leaves being used for the purpose. In a similar manner, too, aristolochia is taken in drink, or dried agaric is chewed, a draught of undiluted wine being taken every now and then. Nymphia heraclea is also applied topically in these cases, and juice of pusidanum. For burning pains in the stomach, cilion is applied, or else cotyledon beaten up with polenta, or isuum. Chapter 19. Molon or Siron amomum. Molon is a plant with a striated stem, a soft, diminutive leaf, and a root four fingers in length, at the extremity of which there is a head, like that of garlic. By some persons, it is known as siron. Taken in wine, it is curative of affections of the stomach and of hardness of breathing. For similar purposes, the greater centauri is used in an electuary. Juice also of plantago, or else the plant itself, eaten with the food, pounded betony in the proportion of one pound to half an ounce of attic honey, taken daily in warm water, an aristolochia or agaric taken in doses of three aboli in warm water or ass's milk. For hardness of breathing, an infusion of cisanthemos 
is taken in drink, and for the same complaint, as also for asthma, hyssop. For pains in the liver, chest, and side, if unattended with fever, juice of pusidanum is used. For spitting of blood, agaric is employed in doses of one victoriatus, bruised and administered in five syathi of honeyed wine. A momum, too, is equally useful for that purpose. For liver diseases, in particular, tucria is taken fresh in doses of four drachmae to one hemina of oxycrate, or else betony in the proportion of one drachma to three syathi of warm water. For diseases of the heart, betony is recommended in doses of one drachma to two syathi of cold water. Juice of sinkfoil is remedial for diseases of the liver and lungs and for spitting of blood as well as all internal affections of the blood. The two varieties of anagallus are wonderfully efficacious for liver complaints. Patients who eat the plant called capnos discharge the bile by urine. Acheron is also remedial for diseases of the liver, and dalcus is useful for the thorax and the pectoral organs. Chapter 20. The ephedra or anabasis. Three remedies. The ephedra, by some persons called anabasis, mostly grows in localities exposed to the wind. It climbs the trunks of trees and hangs down from the branches, is destitute of leaves but has numerous suckers, jointed like a bulrush. The root is of a pale color. This plant is given, pounded, in astringent red wine for cough, asthma, and gripings in the bowels. It is administered also in the form of a pottage to which some wine should be added. For these complaints, gentian is also used, being steeped in water the day before, and then pounded and given in doses of one denarius in three syathi of wine. Chapter 21. Geum. Three Remedies. Geum is a plant with thin diminutive roots, black and aromatic. It is curative not only of pains in the chest and sides, but is useful also for dispelling crudities owing to its agreeable flavor. Vervain, too, is good for all affections of the viscera, and for diseases of the sides, lungs, liver, and thorax. But one invaluable remedy for diseases of the lungs, and for cases of incipient thysis, is the root of consiligo, a plant only very recently discovered, as already mentioned. It is a most efficient remedy also for pulmonary diseases in swine and cattle, even though only passed through the ear of the animal. When used, it should be taken in water and kept for a considerable time in the mouth beneath the tongue. Whether the part of this plant which grows above ground is useful or not for any purpose is at present unknown. Plantago, eaten with the food, betony taken in drink, and agaric taken in the way prescribed for cough, are useful, all of them, for diseases of the kidneys. End of section 1. Recording by Colleen McMahon.